This is Education Matters, brought to you by the Ohio Education Association. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Education Matters, your source for thoughtful conversations about the education landscape in Ohio with the very people who are shaping it. I'm Katie Olmstead, part of the communications team for the Ohio Education Association, which represents more than 120,000 K-12 teachers, education support professionals, and higher ed faculty members in the state. On behalf of our members, OEA keeps a very close eye on everything happening in the state house that affects the students, educators, and communities of Ohio. And one of the big players in all of that is Republican State Representative Gail Manning of North Ridgeville, who serves the people of District 55. She's chair of the House Primary and Secondary Education Committee, and she taught elementary school for 37 years. She joins us now to share her perspective on the big education issues in Ohio today. Representative Manning, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I know you're always very busy in the legislature with so many big issues on your plate, but at this point, you have to be used to that. This is your second term in the House after serving two terms in the Senate where you were elected majority whip. What made you want to go to the state legislature? I don't think I wanted to. (laughs) I I think, um, and and maybe it's a woman thing, you're kind of dragged and kicking. But people came to me and they they thought that I would be a good fit. I had uh, been on city council for a couple of years uh, and served on that. My late husband um, had been very involved in politics. So I, I think they figured, you know, I, I had that type of background. And I think they liked the idea that I was an educator. So people came to me and said, we, we think, you know, you should run for the seat. And I said, no, probably five or six times before, you know, people really, you know, kind of pushed me into it. It's not something I feel comfortable talking, you know, I talk in front of kids, but don't like to talk in front of adults a lot. And, um, you know, I wasn't really familiar with a lot of the issues, obviously, just coming from a third grade classroom. So it was a difficult change. And I'd worked with all women. And all of a sudden, you're in the room with almost all men. And it's hard to get used to. It was kind of nice. I didn't have to wait in line for the bathroom anymore. But that was uh, one of the few benefits. But it it was it was a real transition was kind of overwhelming. But I'm sure your four decades, nearly four decades of experience in the classroom prepared you to be a good lawmaker. How does that experience back then shape your experience now? So one of the things I would often say when I was in the Senate, and I wouldn't say in front of the other senators, but at first I just felt like I wasn't being heard at all. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, most of them had come from the House to the Senate. And so they knew each other. They knew you know, the logistics of everything, which I did not. And um, so I just don't think I had a really loud voice. But so I thought to myself, what did I do in the classroom that helped me? And um, I always called it the sandwich effect. So I used the sandwich effect on my colleagues and managed to to make some headway. So I think the fact that, you know, um, getting through to, to third graders that maybe don't want to do work or don't want to do what you want them to do, and you manage to get them to do it, paid off. So what is the sandwich effect? The sandwich effect is when, um, you know, it's the bread and the two breads are the soft parts. So you start with something soft or a compliment or, you know, you know, I would compliment on a bill they may have or, you know, something that they said on the floor. And then in the middle is the meat. So what I needed or what I wanted done. 
uh, would go in the middle, and then you finish with something sweet at the end. So that seemed to work. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that is a good lesson for life in any sort of interaction, a good way to get things done. Yes, I had a supervising teacher that I just adored when I was student teaching, and she taught me that. And I think it pays off, especially like when you, you know, I had to talk to a parent, you know, about a, a student in your class that might be struggling with something. They just don't want to hear the negative things right away. They want to hear something good about their child. And so I felt very strongly about always, you know, finding that good in the child and letting the parent know that their child is an absolute delight, but having issues here, maybe, or talking too much or not getting their work done, you know, and, and then trying to find something nice to say at the end so that they go away realizing just wasn't all, all negative. And one of the challenges I'd say about being a teacher is that you have students from so many different backgrounds, so many different personalities, all working in the same room day after day. That sounds a lot like being in the legislature. (laughs) That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, I often say that being a legislator, you know, in some ways it's, it's a very difficult job because it's, it's knowing a lot of different things, not, not super well areas that you, you know, you're, you're talking about energy and then you're talking about uh, budgets and, you know, all sorts of different things you're dealing with. And, you know, in the classroom, you're dealing with things that, you know, over, over the time you've gotten used to it, you know, once you learn the curriculum and that. But the job as a teacher is much more difficult, much more difficult, but so much more rewarding. And I valued every day in the classroom. And that experience in the classroom has made you obviously an expert on education issues. You're now the chair of the House Education Committee. What does that role entail? And what are some of the major challenges of that job? Being an education chair, bills that are assigned through rules and reference, which you know leadership from both parties serve on, and they decide which bills will be referred to which committee. So a bill that has something to do with education, obviously, would come to our committee. And so depending on who the speaker is, and we have Speaker Cup, he um, values the work of a chair and basically gives you full reign. Now, some speakers or, or presidents might sit there and say, you know, I don't want you to move this bill. And then you have to decide if you want to, you know, move it or not. But they may just keep it under the black line. But Speaker Cup isn't like that. So he gives us full authority to decide which bills to move and which not. And so, you know, members will call up and say, you know, I've got a bill in your committee. I'd really like to be able to get a hearing on it. And so we kind of prioritized, you know, I sit down with, you know, or or talk on the phone with the vice chair and the ranking member and kind of decide which bills will be moving, um, how quickly we want to move them and which bills we just want to have one hearing on. We're we're usually required to have at least one bill. I give at least sponsored testimony. So we do that. Um, But, you know, the minute you have that sponsored testimony, you might start be getting phone calls or or texts or emails from people that are either for or against that bill. And and so it kind of gives you an idea. Is it a bill that people want to see moved or is it a bill that is going to give a lot of indigestion to the schools? And so that's something that I take very seriously, listening to the people back home. I, you know, even being an educator for 37 years, uh, I... I know I don't know everything and I've been out of the classroom for, you know, 10 years. So you you forget a lot and you're not as familiar. So I rely on people in the field to weigh in 
and tell me what is good or bad about a bill. And then you can always, you know, if it's a kind of a good bill, but then people weigh in, you can always change it by adding amendments. And so, you know, I often encourage the sponsor of the bill and say, look, you've got problems with this bill. We may not be able to get the votes, but, you know, if you make these changes to it, if you're willing to do that. Now, some some chairs go right ahead and add the amendment if they think it'll help the bill. I feel that, you know, it's not my bill. So I let the um, sponsor make that call. But, you know, a lot of times I'll encourage them. I'll say, you know, I just, I'm not going to be able to get the votes if we don't make these changes. So yeah, add amendment. But to me, that makes it a better bill because obviously it's going to be something that just doesn't affect your district. It affects the state of Ohio. And so we need to listen to the whole state of Ohio. We've got some school systems that are extremely small and then we have the big urban ones. So, you know, if we pass a law, we have to pass it for everybody. That sounds like an overwhelming prospect to me with so many competing voices and so many competing needs. Do you have a a North star, a a guiding set of values when you're evaluating a bill to see if it's something that you can get behind when it comes to education? Yeah. You know, uh, to me, it's not about politics. It's not what's best for Republicans or Democrats. Um, It's not what's best for somebody to get reelected. And, you know, those things shouldn't, shouldn't play a role. What should play a role is, will this help our students in our classroom? And to me, that is the number one issue here. Obviously, being a teacher, you know, I I know the pressure that we put on teachers, but we have to do what's right for the kids. Now, the problem that I have is, you know, being a third grade teacher, I always got my way in the classroom, right? Because, you know, we had to do it my way, more or less. (laughs) I mean, you know, following the rules and that, but, you know, just kind of kidding, but all of a sudden you have to compromise and compromise is not a bad word and making changes, you know, to go along to get something passed to me is probably a better thing. But um, I often find that, you know, I'm a a little saddened. Um, If if you don't mind, I'll give you an example. So when I was in this, in the Senate, Governor Casey felt very strongly about the third grade guarantee. Now, I I truly believe that third graders should be able to read by the end of third grade. But I also was a teacher and I'm a realist and realized that there were, and I don't want to pick on boys, but more boys that didn't read as well in third grade as girls did. Um, They're probably more interested in learning to ride their bikes and, you know, throwing balls and, you know, all those kinds of things that guys like to do. I have a couple grand grandsons and I have a granddaughter and, you know, and, and so sometimes, you know, they weren't, you know, just taking as, as, as seriously as, as they wanted to, but I would always check the fourth and fifth grade teachers and find out that they turned out to be some of the best readers of all. And the third grade reading guarantee that we have in the state of Ohio, governor Kasich wanted to make it so that if they didn't pass the third grade reading test, they would be retained in third grade. Now, I liked all the intervention that we were willing to do starting in kindergarten all the way to third grade to get the, the student up to be a good reader in third grade because there has been research done that says if they can't read by the end of third grade, you know, they would have issues when they get up to high school. But to retain a child because of one test, and I was pretty new to this. And like I said, you know, it's, it's trying to get your point across. So I'm standing up trying to explain this to my colleagues about how important it is not to retain a child. You know, we don't retain people that are in law school because of one test. They don't flunk the whole three years, do they? Or one year even. Um, they might flunk that class, but not the whole year. And I just couldn't get it across. And I said, well, 
I'm going to stand up on the floor and say, I'm a no vote. And I'm going to tell them why. And I'm going to tell them I taught third grade for 37 years. And so they were willing to let me put an amendment that said that if the teacher and the principal thought that the child should have passed the one test, that they could take an an alternate test that the school district would choose. And so putting that in, I voted for the bill, even though I'm not a fan of retaining children. And so one of these days, I'm hoping to get that retention out of there and keep all the intervention in. So, And it certainly seems like that's one of the many issues you're facing. Uh, you have a big hand in decisions impacting education, Ohio, including the recent passage of House Bill 67 that provided some much needed flexibility for standardized tests this spring. Talk to me a little bit about what that was like getting it passed, because I know that was contentious at times. And what are some of the other big issues you're working to tackle right now? House Bill 67 uh, was carried by uh, Representative Kaler, who homeschooled his kids, but he has been a real advocate for schools and, uh, and just doing a great job. And then our new vice chair, Adam Bird, who was a superintendent, just retired from being a superintendent, obviously taught in the classroom, was a principal and worked his way up. So he's a real asset. So they worked on it. And the purpose of it was to ask the federal government for a waiver. And that was the main course of Hospital 67. And the night before they were going to give testimony the next day, I believe it was Tuesday, on Monday night, we heard about eight o'clock at night that the federal government has decided not to give any waivers on the federal test to continue giving the test so that we could see what, how the kids were doing. So all of a sudden, you know, um, we had, they had already given the sponsored testimony. People were coming in to give testimony for and against because we wanted to vote it out that day because there was an emergency clause and that would take effect right away. So OFT came in and gave, they had planned on giving testimony and basically came in and said, you know, they were very disappointed that the federal government made this call. But these were the, and somebody asked the question, what can we do to help the schools? And she, she gave about six suggestions. And I remember writing them down and the sponsors wrote them down and we compared and had the same sex. And so that became their amendments. And, you know, then naturally we checked with OEA, you know, you check with OASBO, you know, to see what superintendents are on it. And then you check with, like I said, uh, the local people back home that you feel comfortable with. I always send the amendments over to them and say, you know, is there anything we're missing here? So some of the things that we did do, since we couldn't ask for waivers of the federal mandate on tests, we give more state tests than are required. And two of them are the government history tests. So working with the Senate, they weren't willing to give up both because they feel very strongly, as I do, and I think most people do, founding documents should be taught, and that's still a law. But I don't think you need state tests to prove that. I, I, I trust our teachers to be able to evaluate the kids in their classrooms. So we managed to take one of those tests out. We also found that they wanted a little bit more flexibility since um, many schools weren't even going back until March um, to allow more time to take the test. But they didn't want to do it really in the summertime. They kind of wanted to get it over. So we extended as far as we could to the end of the year. Of course, then you have to check with ODE and find out that because you're extending that, you have to extend um, when they get the results back. And then they had to extend the report cards that are coming out, even though it wouldn't have any effect on any negativity on uh, the schools at all. So, 
you know, there would be no recourse if, if the schools didn't do well, which, you know, I, I think that shouldn't be the goal of these tests anyway. So someday we'll get to that point again. So that, that's something else that we put in there. We also put in that the juniors and seniors this year would not have to go through the end of course exams that we give, but that they could be, uh, they could graduate depending on if the teacher, kind of like the way I did it when I was in school, um, you know, if you completed the classwork, the teacher passed John, right? And so we're allowing that for the juniors and seniors. So those were the things that they did in there. We were, I think, all disappointed that we couldn't get the waiver, but, you know, you move on. And uh, so they've started the tests. I think they started March 22nd. So this week they've, they've started giving the tests, but they can give them to the almost the end of the school year, but they have the flexibility to make that call. So what's next? What are the big legislative issues you're hoping to tackle moving forward? We've heard many complaints about the report cards that are out there. And I've talked to parents that said they're very difficult to understand. Basically, all we do is look at the grade that's on there in A, B, C, or D. And I don't think that should be the purpose of a report card. I think the report card should give what the strengths and weaknesses are at a school system. So, you know, if you have an excellent music program, should that be maybe somewhere on that report card? So if you value that, if you value the arts, and you're trying to decide which school system to move to, or you know, if there's open enrollment or whatever, where to send your student, you know, that might be something that you want to consider. So we don't, I don't like the idea of looking at an A, B, C, or D. And so there's two report cards out there right now. The Senate just dropped one and the House has dropped one. I'm hoping, and I think they will, the sponsors of both of those will sit down at some point. And like I said, come to a compromise. I'm sure I won't be thrilled with the choice that they make at the end, because it won't be the perfect bill. But, you know, there aren't any perfect bills like this, even sometimes my own. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, because you have to change them to make people happy. And um, so we're hoping to get the report cards fixed. And I think that will take a lot of a lot of that anxiety that many of the school systems have right now. You know, talking to the teachers, you know, you can just have a few kids that will make a huge difference on that score. And it seems kind of silly to have four or five kids can make a difference between an A or B or a B and a C. And so um, that's one of the big things that we're working on. When I was in the Senate, I represented Lorraine. Of course, Lorraine is still very near and dear to me because I saw what happened to them over the years. They were one of the schools that went the Academic Distress um, Commission, along with Youngstown and East Cleveland. And fortunately, other schools can't go in because we haven't been giving the, the test, the state test, which is if you get, I think it's an F for three years or whatever, then you are taken over by the state. And a CEO comes in and makes all the decisions and the local school board can basically only make decisions on you know putting in levy up. Now, this came out of an amendment that was added to a really good bill, Hospital 70, several years ago when I was in the Senate, I was a no on it. Um, because I realized that you're taking away a local school board's power. You know, people voted them in to make decisions about their schools. And you're putting one person, a CEO in charge with really an oversight from a distress commission that was only meeting Lorraine quarterly. And there was, in my eyes, more damage done in the long run. So we're hoping to get that fixed this year. 
And if we can get that fixed and the report card fixed, to me, that would be a huge accomplishment. Representative Gail Manning, thank you for sharing all of your thoughts on all of this with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me today. And thank you for joining us for another edition of Education Matters. New episodes come out every Thursday morning, so make sure you subscribe to or follow Education Matters on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss a thing. You can connect with the Ohio Education Association on social media, too. We're at OhioEA on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or you can send an email to educationmatters at ohea.org with your thoughts on this episode or what you'd like to hear in the future. Next week, we're hearing from a high school teacher in a small rural community outside Canton about battling burnout and changing her perspective to become a more effective educator. Until then, stay well. Stay well.